today we're going to be briefly talking about LLCs, um, but mostly we're going to be going over the CARES Act, the stimulus plan from the COVID-19 pandemic. Clint's with Anderson Advisors. This is a story about a dude named Lane. And then one day he went and tried to rent them out, and then he became one real investor man. Thanks for joining us. Today, we're going to be briefly talking about LLCs. We've had a lot of new people join the group, um, but mostly we're going to be going over the CARES Act, um, the stimulus plan from the COVID-19 pandemic. But I wanted to introduce Clint Coons, who the uh, last time we, we saw each other was what, October in Maui. Yeah, it was. So long ago, huh? <laughs> yeah, better times, right? Right, right. Yeah. How quickly times can change. And I, I'm pretty optimistic that we'll come, kind of come right out of this. Um, it'll Likewise. take a while, but it'll be life as normal again. One of the first places we're heading to is the Big Island. I was already talking to my wife about it. As soon as this calms down, we can get on a plane. We're out of Washington for a bit. Good, pri- good prices. Oh, yep. I know. Um, for, for those of you guys who don't know, Anderson does a mastermind in Maui. Um, I don't know where it's going to be this year, but I went to the one in Maui last year. I had a great time. Um, one of the big takeaways, I think you said this, Clint, yeah, I think you said this, not Toby, but you, you guys took a hard stance and, you know, protecting clients and, you know, a lot of people in the room, they work hard to build this net worth, right? And, you know, we'd be damned if somebody like takes it from us. Mm-hmm. So maybe if you can kind of lead off a little bit with, um, you know, some of the basics and LLCs and then, you know, get into the kind of the, what people kind of showed up today for, for the sure. CARES Act. Well, you know, I mean, it really goes hand in hand with what we're talking about when you think about asset protection, because the way I look at it right now, if you're a real estate investor, I mean, you've got some serious concerns that you need to be protecting your assets from. Um, we can all appreciate, you know, if we have tenants in our property, that they slip and fall, things like that, that they could sue us for, for, for the injuries they sustain. But now we have a new dynamic. Now it's this virus. And if you have someone go out to your property, let's say to fix something because the tenant is telling you, hey, the toilet's not working, it's clogged up or the sink's no longer draining and you send someone out there and they contract COVID, you could potentially be sued by that individual or vice versa. Maybe it's a, an elderly couple that is your tenant and you send out someone who is, uh, you know, who has it, but doesn't show any symptoms. So they have no idea. And then they pass that on to that individual, your tenant, or you have a multifamily property and it's runs rampant in your multifamily, like it does in a nursing home, just because it's everywhere uh, in there. And you're not doing a, they say a diligent job to disinfect the building. So you have what is referred to as a sick building. You, you can just extrapolate all this out. And, you know, my mind can extrapolate out every single way in which you could go after somebody for this because I just don't think that way. I'm not one of those types of attorneys, but there's enough of them out there that will find these little threads and make these ridiculous arguments to shake people down. And as a result of it, you know, you're going to be left holding the bag here and you're going to have to defend yourself. And if your properties and your assets aren't protected, then it's going to hit you individually. And the thing about it, people think, well, I have insurance. Insurance doesn't cover it. I mean, they've already come out, insurers, they've been interviewed on the news and they say, yeah, this is a, uh, this pandemic, this virus, it's not covered under the policies. So now you have to fight it. 
And in fact, the first case that, well, there's been a couple cases, one cruise line, Carnival Cruise Line has been sued, class action against them. Uh, then they sued the country of China. Uh, we'll see where that goes. And now they've actually, I just saw a lawsuit was being brought against Walmart. And you know, Boeing, where I'm from Washington state, they're talking about suing Boeing because people have contracted it while working at Boeing. They're saying Boeing didn't do enough to provide a safe environment. So unless, well, state houses, legislatures step in and stop this and do not allow people to bring a cause of action for contracting COVID, it's going to run rampant. That attorneys are going to take it and use it to shake people down. So what I tell people is you should be taking your assets and making sure that they're protected before the harm occurs into separate limited liability companies that limit your liability exposure. So oftentimes we'll set up structures where we'll use an LLC in Wyoming that provides anonymity because the thing is you don't want people to know what you have. If an attorney finds out you have six different properties, you know, it's just going to embolden that attorney to go after you that much harder. Um, whereas the individual that doesn't appear to own anything, well, then you got to ask yourself, is it worth my time? Because there's no insurance there to collect on. The only thing I can collect on are hard assets. They have no hard assets that I can discover other than this one property. And it's pretty much fully encumbered. Now nah, it's probably not worth the effort. So we start with the Wyoming LLC and then we create special purpose limited liability companies in Hawaii, if that's where your property is located, or, you know, maybe it's in Tennessee or in Indy, wherever, wherever it's located. And, then, and those special purpose LLCs all that hold the property all flow back into the Wyoming LLC. And so this provides anonymity and, an, and a nice layer of asset protection from personal creditors. I can tell you a story of one of my clients. Um, she sent me an email about a year and a half ago now, and she was really frustrated because she had this $2.2 million judgment against two Hawaiian real estate developers. And in her email, she said, Clint, I don't get it. I've been pursuing them for over a year and a half. You know, they're living in plain sight and luxury condominiums in my neighborhood and they're driving Teslas and Mercedes. What do I do? And I said, well, do you have a copy of their structure? You know, how they're set up. And she sent it over. And the first thing I had to do is make sure that wasn't my client. So I saw all these LLCs on the page and started going, Ooh, this could be someone we structured. They weren't, but it just goes to show the frustration that someone can face you know, when they're in that situation, they look at a structure and they can't grasp on anything. They can't collect on anything. And this is where we're telling people that you should be placing your assets so that you could be, well, not the Hawaii real estate developer that possibly took my client's money, but you could be protected from frivolous claims. And so we can appreciate the fact that we can have issues with tenants, but here's another angle here. So in 2008, 2009, uh, we had a lot of real estate clients that um, gave back their properties because the banks were coming after them because the values were inflated, the mortgages they had on the properties and the versus the rents they were collecting, they just couldn't meet the mortgage payment. So they wanted to walk away. And those that followed our device and put together the proper structures, they did okay. Those that did not and didn't see the need because they were so focused just on the liability that comes from the entities themselves. I mean, think about that. You know, you, you, as I talked about, you can understand there's property liability, but on the flip side of that, there's your personal liability that you yourself create liability for your assets. And so what I'm about to tell you here is that how that comes back and can bite you if you're not thinking about it. If you're not thinking about this as a business and looking at all the various angles where someone can sue you.
So these individuals, they put themselves in the situation where they didn't recognize that their savings account should be protected. Their brokerage account should be protected. Uh, their secondary residence should be protected. And they kept them all in their own name because that's what people do. That's what CPAs tell you to do. Well, when the lenders came back after them for deficiency judgments on these properties, guess what? They had all these assets were exposed and it took many people down as a result of that. So how does that apply now? Let's fast forward. Can you imagine what this might be like if this goes on for another six or seven months and you don't have tenants that are paying you? Then you're trying to seek an abatement on your mortgage from your lender and they're not willing to do it or they are, but they're only looking at a three month abatement. I've been working with several of our clients just on the abatement side and the lenders are going out three months, six months, haven't got a six month abatement on there. And they, they're very specific that at the end of the three months, all the payments need to start up again. So if you find you're in a situation where you, you, the payments need to be paid right away in three months, and if you don't, it automatically throws you into default because that's what they've been writing into these agreements. Then you're in the situation. You have no rent coming in. You have money that needs to go out. What do you do? Well, we're going to show you some things that you could look at here in just a moment, but it could put you in a position where you have now personal, you have judgments from lenders that are looking to seek your assets. So what steps have you taken now to ensure that that's not going to happen, that they can get a judgment against you? And it's not the judgment. They'll be just like my client. They'll be looking at you and saying, I don't understand. This person I have a judgment against is living in a luxury condo and they're driving a Tesla, but I can't get paid. So that's what we're, we're focusing on with asset protection is creating that type of structure where that makes you, you know, I'm not going to say impervious because we can't ever use that term because you never know uh, what a judge might do, but it's going to make it extremely difficult. And the idea is to make them go away. Are you a non-incredited investor looking for opportunities to invest passively? How about a newer investor looking to get a bit of a track record and confidence from your spouse who's a little bit skeptic of what you've been listening to the last few months? And could you use the reinforcement of double-digit returns paid like clockwork in the form of monthly dividends? The American Home Preservation Fund, or AHP, is currently open again and is looking to bring new investors with them. I have been investing with them since 2016 and originally I used it as a means to pay for my regular expenses. I started with $60,000 as my initial investment and that paid my car payment completely for me every single month. HB collaborates with existing homeowners to keep them in their homes via restructuring or selling the debts unlike their competitors. It's a way to make great returns while feeling good about making a social impact. After investing myself in the fund, it was awesome when owner George Newberry saw the impact Simple Passive Cashflow was making and eventually approached me to become a spokesperson of the company. You can start investing with as little as 100 bucks. And if you want a free bird zone book, please send me an email at lane at simplepassivecashflow.com. For more information about investing with AHP, go to hpservicing.com slash investors. I like to buy stuff. Well, that's a liability. So the LLC, using structures like that, land trusts are, are things that we utilize, corporations in, in your business as well. You know, one of the basic tenets that I teach people is that you think of asset protection for real or uh, planning for real estate investors as a three-legged stool. You have asset protection, tax planning, and business planning. And a lot of people love asset protection. They want to make sure that no one can take anything from them. And I get it. When I started out, that's what I did focused on. 
And then you learn about taxation. You're like, wow, real estate's awesome. I can reduce my taxes and I can do this and that. And then you get focused on that and you try to reduce your taxes down to zero if possible. And I used to do that. And then you understand that when it comes to business, that is growing your real estate portfolio, that although those two legs of the stool are admirable and you need to, to focus on those, that business planning leg can be just as important, if not more critical. And a real estate investor can miss that in their planning. If the person that they're working with does not understand this, they can put themselves in a situation by creating entities that actually hurt rather than help grow their real estate investing portfolio because lenders look at them and they don't like what they see on their tax return. They don't like the way the assets are structured. And as a result of that, it makes it difficult to qualify for loans and you go through multiple extensions and finally the seller just gives up on you, takes your earnest money and walks away. So, this can be a problem for investors if they don't look at using all three legs of the stool in harmony when they're putting their plans together. And unfortunately, what has happened now because of this pandemic, it has reared its head again for real estate investors because everybody just kind of, you know, they get their structure set up and it, it's working for them, they say, because the property's in the LLC and they, the taxes and the counting, the bookkeeping, oh, you know, I'll, I'll get to that at the end of the year. And they're not diligent about doing the things they should be doing throughout the year because they've run it that way for seven or eight years and it's never been a problem. And then something like this hits, right? And now you're running around and thinking, all right, what do I do now? Um, there's programs out there and I want to qualify for them. Great, I'm going to throw my hat in the ring. But the problem is, you throw your hat in the ring, somebody's going to throw it back at you because it doesn't have the requisite information they need in order to allow that hat to stay in the ring. And that all falls back on the fact that when you're running your business, your real estate investing, actually you weren't treating it as a business. You were, you had the investor mindset. And so this planning that we go into is about taking you out of the investor mindset and building a business mindset around what you're doing so that when things like this do come up, you have everything, all your ducks in a row. When I start talking about this, the various details of the CARES Act that, that can apply to you, it's something that I've been living every day for the last two weeks and working with clients and dealing with their documents and in their situations. And it's so frustrating, not only for them, but also for myself because they want help. But we can't necessarily deliver with that help given the fact where they've already put themselves. And so it makes it a more challenging uh, environment. And so you want to be ahead of this and making sure you're doing things the right way from the get from the outset and not one of those that, you know, you're thinking, I'll just get to it later. Um, that's not that important right now. It's not on my priority list. Listen, you don't know what's on your priority list. You don't know when later is going to be today. And if you adopt that pro approach, you're going to find that you're going to take yourselves out of certain situations that had you been properly prepared, you could have been ready to take action. And that is key. And that also goes with investing in general. Um, I'm being interviewed tomorrow by Forbes uh, for, for an article on real estate investing. And when I was talking to the interviewer who set all this up, uh, one of the things I brought up is that, you know, where real estate investors often miss this is that you, they don't see the opportunities when they're coming. And then when the opportunities are there, they're not ready to take action because they didn't see it. They didn't take the steps that were necessary ahead of time to put themselves in the situation to take action. And this is just from my own investing experience. Having been there, I, I've seen it. And just I just closed on a property last month, a multifamily property. I was in the position to close on that. I'd been ready to do it and the seller would not take action. 
because he didn't like the terms. That was in January. Well, he sure did change his tune at the end of February because he panicked. And he said, are you willing to buy my property? Can you close right away? And it's like, yeah, nothing's changed, but that's going to be on my terms. And so I got this property on my terms. And I, I could go on. I have many stories like that, that when you're in a position to take action because you've structured yourself the right way, you're going to be able to grow your business that much quicker. So with that, I think we can dump into the uh, CARES Act or is there anything else you'd like me to cover, Lane? Yeah, I just want to, I, mean, I think, you know, on the commercial side, we're talking to our lenders, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, you kind of brought up the, the word abatement. I don't know if everybody's too familiar with that, but, you know, if you guys are having trouble making your mortgage payments, you guys need to have your lawyer talk to your, your mortgage or your loan servicer because they know how to talk to them. Um, obviously, you don't- With a you stick. Know, right. <laughs> So that's what he's he's referring to there, and you know this is this this hour that Clint's graciously um, given us here is this is not intended to be a sales thing or anything like that. If you guys want to, um, you know, get on the phone with these guys and talk tax or legal or anything you guys got going on, there's a link on my um, simplepassivecashflow.com/tax. Um, we'll also put the the replay to this video later. Um, again, that's simplepassivecashflow.com slash tax. Um, we'll have it live right up, up here. Um, but yeah, let's unpack this uh, CARES Act and see uh, right. goodies that is in that $2 trillion for us. I just got my stimulus check yesterday. Oh, you did? Deposit. Yeah, so yeah. it's real, huh? What, the uh, EIDL or the PPP? Just the um, you know, 1200 bucks per person. Oh, the 1200 bucks per person, the, the credit. Yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah, you guys hard. are helping me with the PPP stuff. We'll see what we yeah. can get there. All right. Okay, well, um, I've given this presentation now probably, I don't know, 15 times uh, in the last two weeks. I gave it three times yesterday because people are so interested in this topic right now Um, because there's a lot of information floating around out there about the CARES Act. My partner, Toby, and I, uh, we dug really deep into it the day it was released and spent a couple days just pouring through it and going back and reading and then paying attention to what the SBA guidance has been coming out consistently as this drip. And that's really, I think, spurned a lot of the um, the miscommunication or, or the confusion is a better word. In fact, I, I was in the New York Times two weeks ago and then in another public news publication just this week. And the information that we were talking about in those articles, actually some of that's been changed. And in, quite frankly, I need to update it uh, because at that time, that was how the CARES Act was being interpreted for the, for the information we we're discussing. And now uh, because of SBA guidance, it, it's changed. So what I'm going to be covering is what the current guidance states, not what was two weeks ago, if you maybe you caught one of my presentations. And so there's been some minor tweaks here. Yeah, and this uh, is why I just, I'm just having you guys do this for me. Because <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm kind of a do-it-yourselfer, and I'm trying not to do that. And I just said, screw it, because this thing just changes too damn much. And I'm like, I don't have the time. My, my highest and best use is working on my business, finding deals and yeah. Exactly. I mean, it's not only that, it's you've got the SBA that's changing it and then you have the lenders you're working with that are changing it. Um, you know, just as a high overview on, on what's happened here is that these programs get released and everybody's like, oh, great, this money's going to be available and I'm going to be able to apply and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get this funding right away. But what happens is that you're working through banks and you know the way it's like when you go to a bank, depends on who you get right? Who's going to help you out? 
and whether or not it's in the bank's interest to want to help you out. Because with some of these program, with one of these programs, there's a financial benefit to banks. And so that's really been part of the problem with the rollout on this program for small businesses. And so we'll get into that. But, but it's been an eye-opening experience from, from my end. And I never thought I'd go this deep into to working with 7A lenders like I have or dealing with the SBA. And so it's been, been an interesting experience. And so, you know, collectively at Anderson, we have, if you don't know about us, we have about 200 employees and we're spread out over multiple states, uh, Washington, uh, Nevada, Wyoming, Utah, name a few. And we work primarily with small business owners and real estate investors. And so that, I think that really makes us unique. And why we're able to talk on this subject with, I would say, some authority is that we've spent so much time now dealing with this subject matter and helping clients out uh, making these. I think on the ELDL side that we'll be talking about, we've made over 700, at, filed over 700 applications for people. And so it's a learning experience. But there's a couple different components to this that we're gonna cover. I'm not gonna get into the, the personal side so much as far as the, you know, we're not gonna cover the rebate checks that are coming out, tax credit checks, because that is what it is. What I'm gonna focus on is the aspects of the plan that could be available to you if, you have, if you're an investor, if you have a business or you're just an individual that you, you have uh, potentials to get funding right now. And the, and the best one or the easiest one, the quickest one, it would be through retirement plans. So what they've done is they've modified the distribution rules. So that was one of the things that came out of the CARES Act. Uh, they changed the distribution rules for retirement plans or IRAs. You, you're familiar with this, that if you took money out of your IRA, Roth, traditional, or, or 401k, the money's going to be taxable to you. So if you went up and you, you wanted to pull out um, $60,000 tomorrow and you're 38 years old, that's a taxable distribution. And on top of that, you have to pay an extra 10% early withdrawal penalty. So people don't pull money out of, of these retirement plans because they don't want to get dinged with the 10% early withdrawal penalty and they don't want to pay income tax on that money if they don't have to. What Congress did in the CARES Act is they eliminated the early withdrawal penalty and they deferred the imposition of any tax until December 31st of 2023 if you pull money out of your plan. But they capped it. They said you can pull out up to $100,000 out of your IRA, Roth, combination thereof, 401k, as a distribution and what it's going to be treated as 60-day roll. So if you were to Prior to all the CARES Act, if you were to uh, go to your IRA, pull out the entire amount, say $75,000, you wouldn't be taxed on that money provided you placed it into a new IRA or qualified plan within 60 days. That's called a 60-day rollover exemption. But with the CARES Act, they allow you to keep that money outside of your plan until for three years, till December 31st, 2023. You don't have to pay interest on it. You don't have to pay any taxes on it. As long as you pay that money back to your plan, by December 31st of 2023, that's a tax-free distribution to you for a limited period of time. And so this is, for some individuals, an instant source of cash that they can use to meet their short-term expenses that are, as I refer to, are COVID-related. Because that's, in the, in the CARES Act, it states that it needs to be, because of the economic impact of COVID on your life, the pandemic, you need to have access to these funds. All right, so how has your life been affected? This comes up a lot. You know, why would I need $100,000 out of my plan? Well, things cost more, right? 
what does toilet paper cost now? It's gone up. Um, you don't want to go to the grocery store because you're concerned. So you hire someone to bring you your groceries. My parents told me this was nuts. They ordered some groceries. I forget what the website was called. The guys went to Safeway, picked out all their groceries, brought it out to their house. They bought, I think it was about $85 worth of groceries, but their bill was 160. My mom was just flipping out. She goes, I can't believe they charged me $80. I said, well, you didn't have to go in the store. You weren't put at risk. So, you know, you have other costs now. If you can't pay your, your mortgage uh, because your tenants on your properties aren't paying you or, you know, you have other costs of carrying costs because your contractors aren't coming out to the property. So you're not moving the property if you're trying to do a rehab. As long as you have something like that, and you can establish it, then you qualify for this distribution. And it's per person, right? So each individual can, can pull the monies out. Now, another option you have, in addition to the penalty-free distribution, is a loan. So oh, right, like, can, can yeah. we go back there? So, you know, like you don't have to be infected by the virus. You just have to be impacted. Impacted. I think people, people who get freaked out a little bit, they're like, oh my God, what if the IRS comes back to me and like ask me, how did, would I use my hundred grand for, you know, like maybe if you can talk a little bit about, of substantiating the claim or is even the IRS even going to bother with Little I don't think they're even going to bother with you, but if they did, so here's, here's a classic example. Somebody asked me and said, man, I'm going to pull that money out. I'm going to put it into real estate. I said, no, you're not. I said, what you're going to do is take your other money that you have, that you're paying your everyday expenses for, and you're going to put that into real estate. And you're going to use this money to cover your expenses. I mean, you have a stay at home order there in Hawaii. Yeah. Non-essential businesses. You're not working. Yeah, I didn't. Ha I didn't ask the question. I don't. I don't think twice about this stuff. Yeah, yeah, no, that's I mean, what I'm saying. Definitely. That's why I'm, these are rhetorical yeah. questions. Essentially, is that <laughs> hey, I'm not. I can't work. Governor told me I can't work. They shut my state down. I'm unemployed. How do I pay my bills? Right? How do I? You know, I like to have a bottle of wine. Well, not every night, but you try to stretch it out. I'm gonna need to, home. right? You're going crazy at home. Exactly. <laughs> How many of your livers are getting a workout right now across this country? So, um. It's, it's fairly simple, I think, to, to, to uh, establish that it's COVID-related, uh, that you need this money. And I don't see the IRS coming in and checking. I think it's more one of those where just get the money paid back uh, by December 31st of 2023. So if you're thinking about having to use, like I'm saying, take your other funds, use your other funds for investing, live off of these funds right now. Um, I've talked to some people, strategized about uh, IRA say they have money, uh, an interest in an IRA in a uh, syndication. You know, what comes up in that situation is that if they don't roll it into their own 401k plan, they haven't set one of those up. The issue you have with syndications and IRAs is you have UDFI, unrelated debt financed income. So you can be taxed on, you know, typically it's 70% on a liquidation of that, that investment of the income that comes in, unless you have enough depreciation to offset it. It hasn't been used up. So if I have that interest, say I hold a $100,000 interest in a syndication with uh, retirement plans, you don't have to just take out cash. You can take out what is called an in-kind distribution. So we've talked about this. Why don't you pull the syndication interest out so you avoid the tax when, it's the pro when, when there's a liquidation event of that asset, 
because now it's no longer held in your IRA, so you don't have that UDFI tax there. Yeah, you'll pay tax and your, and your long-term capital gains rate at 20%, whereas if you left it in the IRA, you'd pay tax at 37%, and then whatever your income tax rate is when you pull it out, so that could be possibly, you know, it was 60% could be gone. Now we're gonna lower that down to 20%. And then with that interest, they ask you, why did you take that interest out? Well, I wanted the income that's coming in off the assets so I can cover my living expenses because I'm not working. And then by 2023, you pay back cash. You don't have to put the interest back in that came out as security. So that may sound a little complicated to, to you when you're listening to this, but I just want, to, want you to understand that there are planning opportunities here for people if they only know where to look and they get the assistance of someone that understands this. So um, think about it that, you know, there, this, this is a, a great tool that's been bestowed upon you and you have until December 31st of this year to make the withdrawal. So you have the entire year. That answer your question? Yeah. And I think this is a no brainer. I mean, I talk to clients all day long trying to get money out of your 401k retirement accounts and get it on the playing field and invest. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like one of those 10% off deals. No 10 10 percent early withdrawal penalty. Yep. I mean, it, well, you I mean it, you talk about getting on the playing field. So another option that I I've been telling people is take your IRAs to put that piece on the board so you can use it in a more effective manner. Set up your own solo four hundred one k. Let's roll the funds in, deposit them in there. If you're married, take your spouse's funds and put them in there. Now you have this pool of cash that, when we talk about being ready for when opportunities come along. Now you can deploy, you can, you can be there to take action because maybe you don't have the cash personally. It's all inside your retirement plans. If you don't take the money out and you want to leave in that tax deferred environment, at least you're able to execute right away because you're in control of your own solo 401k. You get, you have checkbook control over it and you don't have the UDFI issues that come along with investing in syndication. So I think it's, that's a better move. I'm super excited about a new program I'm rolling out that's going to reinvent scammy real estate education programs. So excited, like Marie Kondo cleaning stuff up excited. Announcing my new mastermind program which consists of a closed member site with 27 packed weeks of content, plus bi-weekly group video conference calls to ask whatever. Half of the calls will be centered around granular investing tactics and the other half will be holistic wealth building strategies that I have learned from the wealthy. That's 25 plus hours of group coaching and masterminding. And a secret Facebook group too. I know what you're thinking. Not another flippin' Facebook group. Well, this one's gonna be different. More intimate, exclusive, and no cheapskates or shady vendors in it. I've been coaching individual clients over the past couple years and I figured out what you guys need and a way to provide it in a cost-effective way. Learn more, go to simplepassivecashflow.com backslash journey and join before the first cohort fills up and the introductory pricing goes away. Yeah, and we talk a lot about QRPs and Anderson can make a QRP for you guys too. Um, yeah. the, going back to the 100 grand thing, is that mm -hmm. per person? Like you can get per it in your person. spouse? So really 200 per couple then? Oh yeah, yeah well, when you use this next strategy, you could actually have $400,000 for your family outside of your plans for investing. It's a lot of money. And so um, the way you do that is if you have a QRP, and it doesn't have to be your own. Um, we've done this for, for several individuals where they've taken their IRAs and rolled them in uh, to a solo 401k because 
right now, they've increased the borrowing limits on your retirement plan. It used to be that the borrowing limit was 50% of your plan balance or $50,000, the lesser thereof. So if you had 60,000 in a retirement plan, the most you could borrow out is 30,000 bucks and you had to repay it within five years. Well, what they've done with the CARES Act is they've changed the limitation. They've upped it to $100,000 or 100% of your vested balance, the lesser thereof. So in my previous example, you could actually pull out the entire 60. Now, instead of having to repay it within five years, they give you a one-year holiday and then you have five years to start making your repayments on those funds. So you have a year where you don't have to pay anything back. Now, this particular provision, unlike the uh, withdrawals that goes until December 31st, this provision only is effective until September 27th of 2020. So you have to pull the money out before September 27th of 2020 under the loan. So, you know, if you think about it now, you've got two options here to hit two ways to hit your funds. You've got the distribution and the loan collectively. That's 200,000 that is available to you. So I think this is another Avenue we explore when we're thinking about where do I get those proceeds that I need currently uh, rather than wait for the government for these loan programs, we'll talk about two of the main loan programs. I can go right into my retirement plans and those funds are there. Sometimes, sometimes I've talked to people and they say, well, that's just accessing my own money. It's not free money from the government. I know, definitely it's your own money, but it's money that you didn't have access to before and now they're giving you access to it penalty free. You have to look at it from that perspective that now you can do things with those funds that ordinarily you might have been looking at going, well, it's locked up. It's not benefiting me now. I have to wait till I have gray hair before I benefit from this. Not anymore. Now you can benefit it from it starting today. So I think it's, it's a, a, another option you should consider under the CARES Act uh, when you want to tap into funds. Okay. Next one here is the economic injury disaster loan. So this is another major piece of legislation that um, they modified with the CARES Act and it's designed to help out individuals that are on an, in a declared disaster area, economic disaster area. All 50 states fall within this category now. So wherever you live, wherever you own assets, they're all within disaster areas. And so the purpose of an EIDL loan, that's how it's typically referred to as an EIDL loan, is that this SBA loan has been around forever, for a long, long time. And it's to help people that have been um, injured economically as a result of some disaster in their area, like a hurricane that comes through or a massive flooding that comes through and wipes things out. And so then the federal government steps in and they issue out these you know, pretty much lower interest rate loans to, to individuals that have been affected by this. So to help get them back on their feet so that they can, they can maintain some semblance of, uh, of their life. Well, right now what they've done is they've expanded this program for individuals so that you can apply for this. And this is what I really typically refer to as the real estate investor um, loan, because if you have rental real estate, yes, you've been affected. I've already been affected. Last month on a warehouse that I own, tenant said, listen, I'm not paying your rent for three months. And it may be a little bit longer, but I can't pay your rent for three months. And if you force me into it, I'm just going to have to file bankruptcy because I am completely shut down and said, you need to work with me. So I worked with them. 
the fact I worked with him doesn't relieve me unless I get an abatement from my lender of the obligation to pay $12,000 a month on that property. So you can see the ripple effect here that happens when somebody stops paying you rent, that falls back on you. You still have, you know, the utilities, the, the taxes, the insurance on the property and the mortgage. Who's going to help you with that? Now, there are some government programs out there that are attempting to do that. But at the end of the day, it's still your burden. And what you find with residential property that I think is extremely troubling is that in some states, you have governors that give people the impression that they don't have to pay rent. Not that there's been any mandate by the government or, or, or cities that state that there's a rent holiday, so to speak. They just throw it out there that you shouldn't be obligated to pay rent during this uh, economic hardship time. And so what does that do? It, it tells people, hey, I don't need to pay rent. Even if they have the money, they assume that it's, it's free to them. And it's not because there's a cost for everything. So what happens now is that if you've been damaged or you think you're going to be damaged by this, then you want to take advantage of what we call the EIDL loan. You can apply for it through the SBA. And rental real estate is eligible for this loan. And so what, it, what they allow you to do is you can now borrow up to $2 million and you have 30 years to repay it back at 3.75%. That is a great loan to get, right? Now, when I say up to $2 million, it's going to be based upon your economic needs. So you just don't walk in and say, I need 2 million bucks, give me the max, because it's not going to happen. They're going to, you're going to have to demonstrate what your need is. And so the way we do that, the way you qualify um, for this is you, you show them, you know, what your rents are right now and what your costs are. And so what we've been doing with the costs is we say, all right, management fees, uh, mortgage interest, rents, I mean, not rents, excuse me, taxes, insurance, utilities, anything that you pay, contractors that you're bringing in to work on, on your property. Those are all expenses that you have. Now you look at your rental income, you say, here's my income. I expect this income to lose 80% of it over the next couple of months because tenants can no longer pay their rent. So I need money to continue to pay these expenses that are going out. So we, when we're looking at applying for this loan, we make the initial application and then it's a typically a three to four week process before you hear back from the SBA. Then we come back to them as our clients uh, accumulate all this information together. And then we submit that to justify what are the amount of money we need. So where does that put us? Does it put us at 2 million? No, but probably put you somewhere between 50 to $200,000, which is the sweet spot for this new program or for this program, not new program, for the changes they made. Under the changes in the CARES Act, you don't have to give a personal guarantee for a loan up to $200,000. So that's basically, you can get an unsecured loan for 200 grand. Those are very difficult to come by. I've never received an unsecured loan for $200,000 before. And an applicant, you know, uh, that applies, it's only based upon your credit score right now. It's all they, they can't require your tax returns, even better. Because I was talking to an individual yesterday and they're, we're working with them. He goes, listen, I haven't filed tax returns in four years. I, got, I can't qualify. It's like, yeah, you can. We can qualify you for an EIDL. They can't ask for the tax returns. They don't qualify you on that. They only qualify in your credit score. Your credit score is good. He goes, yeah, I got great credit. Well, there you go. Then you qualify. So it's amazing how this program uh, can, can work for you if you know how to set, in the, set up the application the right way to take advantage of it. So the EIDL, it's great for real estate investors um, because it's, it's set up to cover your economic 
damages as a result of the pandemic. And what they also threw on the back end of this was this grant. And when, when we read the CARES Act, it states in there that when you apply for your EIDL loan, you can also apply for an EIDL grant of up to 10 grand. And uh, within 72 hours, they will issue you the money right to your bank account. thought, wow, that's cool. That's free money right there. So everybody wants to apply for the grant. Well, when we started making these applications a couple of weeks ago, no one was receiving grant money within 72 hours. Now, finally, you're starting to see some grant money come out. But again, the SBA came out and they moved the ball. They changed the rules of the game. And they said, it's in order to qualify for the grant, you actually act, must have employees. And I'm like, wait a minute. It doesn't say that in the CARES Act. But see, the Congress gives SBA the right to interpret the CARES Act and to issue guidance on it. So they decided to qualify it and state that it's only available to people that have employees and they'll give you $1,000 per employee. Well, it's nice to know that now. I wish I would have known it, you know, two weeks ago. So this is what I'm referring to when things are changing. So now with the applications that we're submitting, we're making sure that if people have employees, we're writing them down on there. I don't care if they don't get paid or not. We're still putting them down that they have employees because the payment portion is important for the next type of loan we're going to discuss. So as a real estate investor, um, you'd want to make this application as well and go for the grant money if, if it could be awarded to you because it's free money. You do not have to pay the grant. It's not tied to the EIDL loan. So if you don't get the EIDL loan, you still get to keep the grant money. And as I stated, we finally get some, some clients are starting to receive these funds um, that are being distributed out to them. They go right into your bank account. But again, it's just one of those processes where things are kind of always shifting and new guidance is coming out uh, pretty much on a weekly basis on how these things are issued. And a lot of people were, you know, in their Facebook group, we have uh, our Hui Facebook group, and then we have the, the mastermind group, which I think yep. is a lot more quality uh, conversations. Some guys are doing this, you know, they don't really have, you know, businesses, they got real estate and they're just trying to do this on their own, which is cool, you know, but mm -hmm. I also see a lot of, uh, I'm in a lot of other groups and they're kind of jamming the button trying to like keep doing this because it's like the week between April 5th or the week before it changed like two times, right? The whole 1099, like you said, Good. like it's a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's frustrating from our end because, you know, when, it, when they came out and they asked for, they stated you're only going to need certain amount of information to apply. So that's what we go with. And then, you know, Five days later, they came, oh, no, no, now we want this. That's no longer sufficient. And then a week and a half later, they change it again. It's just, it's all over the board. There's, there's really, it depends on the lender. So the EIDL is a little easier to apply for right now. And people think, oh, this is simple. Well, you don't know what's coming. You know, in three weeks when, when they reach back out to you, that's when you better have everything in a row and understand what you're going to need to, to supply them, how that's going to be need to be documented in order to substantiate any claim. It's just not a matter of just filling it out on an application. The thing about any lending that you should know by now is that the main C of lending is credibility. And if you apply for a loan and you state X, Y, and Z, and you're asked for verification of that, and you can only verify X, we got a problem. Or in attempt to verify X, Y, and Z, you give conflicting information. We've got a problem. And so underwriters or anybody that, you know, it's a lender, when they see that, 
It then calls into question the overall veracity of the borrower and are they trying to game the system? And so, you know, innocent mistakes are fine. We get it that they're not going to bang you on that. But if there's a number of mistakes that are made along the way and you keep having to supplement what you provided because it wasn't sufficient, then the priority as far as who we're going to give funds to shifts. You know, do we want to keep working with this person who doesn't have their stuff together versus this person whose application is solid and is ready for us to make a decision on? That's why it's really important, as you were stating, Lane, that, that looking at this, you know, putting these applications together, there's more to it than what meets the eye. All right. So the Paycheck Protection Loan Program. Now, this is the one that is all over the news right now. Uh, you can't help but turn on the TV. Congress is fighting about it uh, as far as what they're going to do for funding. So here's the deal. Initially, they put aside $349 billion. They thought, oh, right, that should be sufficient. Not potentially realizing that it's not going to be sufficient. And what has happened, you know, they came out with this. And the way the program was rolled out is that banks were – allocated so much, so many funds that they could issue out loans. Because what happens with a, a PPP plan, these are what are referred to as 7A loans. So they operate through local lenders that work with the SBA. So the local lender is the one that has to go on the hook for this loan. They issue out the loan and then they need to go back to the SBA and say, listen, we, issue, we wrote a loan, underwrote a loan, gave the individual the money, our money, under your guidelines, they filled out all the information. Here you go. It meets your guidelines. Give me the money. Now, for a lot of banks, that's a risky procedure because when you have the SBA that keeps changing things and you're trying to work with businesses and, and get that application just right so the SBA doesn't kick it back, you want to make sure that you're not going to be in a position where you've issued out this money to individuals and the SBA is not going to reimburse you. So that's been kind of a problem in the rollout of this program. The second problem that's, that, that's come about in the rollout of this program is the fact that in addition to putting aside $349 billion for um, individuals to borrow, they also set aside, I think it was $17 billion, I believe it was, 17 or 20 some billion dollars to pay banks to do the loans. So banks get about 5% on whenever they write. So if I write a loan for $100,000, I'm going to get 5% on, on that deal. Uh, well, it's kind of graduated, but you get the picture here. So what this has done is it has incentivized then lenders to pick and choose their applicants. And we know this from working with multiple lenders. And I can tell you even working with our own lender um, when we applied they said this, well, we're only taking a few applicants. Why? Well, we only want to work with our really good clients. Translation. They only want to work with clients that have over a certain amount of employees. Because if you're working with Anderson, we have over 200 employees. Or you're working with John's Auto Body Shop and he has two employees. Which one is going to be the larger loan? It's going to be Anderson. So which one are you going to make more money on? Anderson's loan. Work-wise, they require the same amount of work. So what's really happened now is lenders have put their focus on the larger employers and have left the smaller employers out of the program, basically. 
Uh, community banks are the one exception to that. Community banks have really stepped up, and but the problem is the community banks have been limited on funds. So one of the uh, clients I'm working with, his community lender shut down their program after it was open for three hours. Boom, they used up all their allotment and they were done. They couldn't issue out anymore. So again, you had to look for other lenders out there. Now, the thing about this is that it's going to continue until the uh, fund runs out of money. If you've been watching the news recently, you know they keep talking about it, that it's going to run out this week. And I get it. It's going to happen. Um, but they're going to reauthorize. They're talking another $250 billion. And so some of the people that we've been working with, I mean, we've been submitting all these applications for them. Some of them may not be in the first round. They're going to end up being in the second round. That's why we're we want to make sure that their applications are in so the lenders have evaluated the app so they're ready to go when the second amount of money comes down. But it's just something that, you know, no one really anticipated and the result of the lenders picking and choosing their better clients or the larger loans, it's really created some problems in this overall program. And I think Congress understands that. Now, what is it for? So this loan is for anyone that has payroll. So if you have uh, W-2 employees or you yourself are a W-2 employee in your business, then this could benefit you. Um, if you're a sole proprietor, Schedule C individual, or maybe you're Schedule SE, you're, uh, you have an LLC where you're a partner in, so you have active income that flows through that, then you can qualify for this triple P loan. And the benefit uh, of applying for this loan is that you're, you're gonna get a set amount of money from the federal government to cover your wages that you would pay your employees for eight weeks. So they're basically telling you this, you keep everybody on, you keep people working or whatever, just pay them money, um, we'll pay you the money to pay them for eight weeks. And so, you know, for a lot of small business owners, this could keep their business alive till we get past this, this period of time now until things start opening up again. So, it, it's drawn a lot of attention, um, out, of course. And so what you have to do is you have to calculate, basically to apply for this, you first have to know what your salaries are, uh, what your income is. And so what you do is you, you figure out all of your income that you pay your employees. And so that would be your salaries, um, goes into this calculation for all your employees. You look at any 401k payments, any health insurance premiums you make on their behalf, any state and local taxes that are paid. All that gets added into the mix. If you don't have all that, well, you just take what you do have. And then that number right there is going to be used in a calculation to determine your eligible amount. So you first have to determine the payroll. And when you're doing this, there's certain things you cannot count for. Uh, if you have employees that make over 100K a year or you make over $100,000 a year, again, this is active income, then you, you have to cap your calculation at 100K. So when you're figuring out what is the total amount of salaries I've paid everyone, anyone over 100K, you stop at 100 and you can't count the rest. Um, you, got to, you can't add in employment taxes that you pay the federal government and certain other things that go in there. If you're not um, a resident in the United States, you can't qualify anyways. And that's so, the one where people are getting like um, fancy, right? They're saying they're paying themselves. Like, yeah, yeah. So, so that's the problem with this, right? goes back to the credibility. So we had people fill out applications. They say, oh yeah, I, I paid myself um, $30,000 in income last year. Great, you qualify. And then you start digging into it and you ask them, well, where, well, you said you paid yourself $30,000 in salary. Oh, well, I just took it out of my company. Well, that's not paying yourself salary. That doesn't qualify for this program. And then they say, well, it should because it's still income to me. 
It is, but it's not the right type of income. What they're looking for is payroll, not distributions or loans or however else it was characterized as. And so this is what has caught some people that they've done certain tax planning for 2019 to minimize their active income. But now it's coming back in 2020 and it's creating a hardship for them and they're not being able to get into the upper reaches of this program because they don't have the income to support it. I was looking at some questionnaires before I got on the call here where somebody said that the, the total active income for 2019 was $6,000. And they took out a, I think it was $70,000 in distributions. That's not even worth dealing with. You're, you're not going to apply. Go for the EIDL loan. Don't worry about the PPP loan because you're going to see in this calculation I show for you, $6,000 doesn't amount to anything. And, and here's why. So the way we run the calculations is we take your gross wages for the year uh, that you've paid to all employees, including yourself. And, and then you add in your health insurance that you paid for them. If you did, you add in retirement benefits that you may have paid for them. And then you get this number. And it, oh, I put the wrong number in there. It should be 177. So um, let's just go with this. So it's 175. Uh, you take that 175, which is your total cost of payroll for the last year, or maybe it's not the last year, maybe it's the last four months, whatever it is, and you divide it by that number. So if this was for a year, then I divide it by 12, and I get this number $14,853. So that $14,853, I take that number, which represents my average monthly payroll, and then I multiply it by two and a half times. And that grosses it up to $36,458. Now you get this check from the government for 36 grand. And the reason they're giving you this check is so that you'll take that money and you'll use it to keep your people employed and pay their payroll, cover their health insurance, right? Um, if you're making payments to their 401k plan, you'll just keep life as normal for them. Now, what has happened though, unfortunately, is... Uh, some people have already laid off their employees and they've gone on unemployment and they're saying, well, do I have to rehire those people? Well, technically you don't, but you should consider it if you want another aspect I'm going to share with you on this program. So you get this loan and the government tells you, you use it for payroll. You can use it for your mortgage. You can do, you know, your rents, um, uh, utilities costs debt obligations that you have. You can use it for a lot of things to keep your business afloat. That's what it's to be used for. And when you apply for it and it's awarded to you, it's a non-recourse note. So there's no personal guarantees. You don't have to give any assets up uh, as collateral for this money. And the loan repayments are going to be deferred for six months. The interest rate on that loan is 1% and you have two years to repay it. Okay. So $37,000 at a 1% interest rate repayable over two years, that's free money. Okay, you're not going to get that anywhere else. So this is a free loan, essentially. Now, if you take that money and you actually do what I described and you use it to cover your payroll expenses, if you show that 75, 80% of those funds was used to cover your payroll expenses and it went out to the number of employees that you had prior to all this going on, then the government will forgive the loan. So you have eight weeks to spend the money. You can't go beyond the eight weeks. At the end of the eight weeks, it's like a stop dead date. From the time you get the loan, you go eight weeks out and say, all right, at this point in time, did you spend 75% of the money on your payroll, on the same number of people you had prior 
to, um, to February of 2020? If the answer to that is yes, then they will forgive all of those money. So you got free money from the government. You can also use a portion of it to cover your rent and utilities. That all is going to be forgiven as well. If you don't, it's then going to be a loan. So the key thing to consider here, right, is that the money has to be used within that eight-week period in order to get the forgiveness. You can't stretch it out beyond that. And as far as applying for the loan forgiveness, it's pretty simple. All you have to do is at the end of the eight weeks, you go back to your lender and you say, listen, I met the requirement. I used 75% for payroll and I would like to have this loan forgiven. So you're going to certify to them. Could they ask for information to back it up? Absolutely, but they're not required to. So what do I tell people then? When you're applying for this loan and when it's awarded to you, you put the money in a separate account. You do not commingle it with your operating account because you want to be able to trace if you were audited on this, where all those funds came from. Now, if you're in the, in the situation right now where you're saying, well, I don't have uh, employees because I laid everyone off and I'm on unemployment myself, should I apply for this? Absolutely, you should apply for it. You can bring yourself back on and start receiving some money, right? The government's going to pay you to pay yourself. That makes sense. And then the rest of that money, I'm just going to treat it as a loan. And so when the business starts back up again, maybe May or June, now I'm going to have this pot of funds. Maybe it won't be forgiven, but it'll help me jumpstart my business and bring some of those people back so I have cash in my account to pay them. Ideally, we'd like to have it forgiven, but unfortunately, we can't in that situation. Then we can look at other things. You can get yeah, I got a couple, couple points um, yep. here on a roll there. Um, but, you know, like we had the earlier question of like, you know, how are you going to substantiate to the government, right, when you're doing the, um, the, 4, the 401k loan? Yep. And I'm like, there's probably like most people on the car rolling their eyes on that question. It's like, dude, don't even, don't even worry about it. Yeah. But I'm just want to highlight here. If you're one of those people, don't screw around with this one. <laughs> yeah, this, this one you don't. If you're going for the forgiveness, you have to keep really good books and records on yeah. this. And that's why you run the separate account. And, and um, maybe you can comment on this one too. Like, you know, a lot, of, a lot of my peers, what they're doing is they're using this as an opportunity to get rid of fat on their, their, their roster, right? This is a great reason to fire your, your deadweight employees <laughs> that you want to get rid of anyway. So that it's the less chance of you getting sued for some silly thing or having to pay severance. Um, not saying that's the right way to do it. That's just what, you know, business people are doing, right? In this, in this situation. Yeah. Maybe you can talk to a little bit of like, how do you phase these people back in as you bring back other people and use the payroll protection? You know, you're well, kind of I mean, leading into that. You're not going to phase back in the people you don't want to bring back. And that's why when you when you laid them off, you, you, you furloughed the people you want and you laid off the people you don't plan to bring back. Um, and you're right. You know, there's, it, it was a, a way to thin the herd without risk of getting sued for a lot of business owners because they were concerned like, Oh, this person's going to come back and bring a bogus claim against me that I fired them because um, they looked a certain way or they spoke a certain way or something like that. And it had nothing to do with it. It's just, they never showed up to work, but that doesn't seem to matter. Um, so what do you do then? If, if you want to get forgiveness on these funds, then you have to bring the people back within that eight weeks and you have to spend the money on them. So it doesn't matter if you bring them all back in the last month or you bring them back in the first month. You just got to have the, those average number of 
employees back and you have to spend all the money on them. So, or 75% of it. Now that's where you have to look at your business and decide what is, what makes most economic sense for you. If, if, if it's a large amount of money, then it's probably going to make economic sense to, to get that money and pay the salaries and try to get that business started as fast as possible. But I've been in other situations with individuals that we've sat down with and we say, listen, I know you have the money available and you can take it, but you've already let go of your, your workforce. Do you really want to bring them back on? Do you want that debt? If you don't want either one, you don't need it. Then what we could look at is what is referred, there's a tax, there are tax credits out there for um, the taxes you're paying, your employment taxes on your employees. It's up to $5,000 per person. So over the remainder of the year, if you had 10 employees, that's a $50,000 tax credit. A $50,000 tax credit is worth, I don't know, let's say $120,000 to $150,000, depending on your tax bracket, in your pocket. So that's like getting a $150,000 loan from the federal, I mean, uh, yeah, this loan from the federal government, free money. So you can, you can work these numbers to your advantage one way or the other. You just have to determine what's in your best interest. All right. Um, yeah, then any amount you have is forgiven. And that's it. That's all I got on that. So oh, that slide. Questions? I thought you were going to get rolling on that slide. There are only three bullets. <laughs> but yeah, for those of you listening on the, um, the audio form, we have these in webinar on the YouTube channel. So you guys, a lot of stuff here. A lot of stuff for sure. Okay. Um, we can open it up for a little question and answer, Clint. You got some yeah, time? How, how much? Yeah, I got some time. Okay. Uh, so first question here. So we talked a lot about self-employment uh, employees. What about how do 1099s factor into all of this? You know, I know a lot of people use like virtual assistants and, yeah. you know, one-off um, contractors for individual projects. So with the 1099, the way that works is um, it, it was set up originally in the CARES Act, it talked about independent contractors. And so people thought that the payments of independent contractors could be into the calculations, but they further came out and clarified that. And they said that they don't count. So you can't use that to increase your PPP amount. So if you're paying someone as an independent contractor, they could apply for this, but you can't apply on their behalf. On the flip side, if you're an independent contractor, then say you're then you could qualify. And so that word independent contractors is kind of misleading because uh, we work with people all the time. Let's say they're a computer programmer. They're, they're working with Microsoft. You say, what do you do? I'm an independent contractor with Microsoft, meaning this. I have my own little business set up and they pay my corporation $250,000 a year to do coding on Word, but I'm not an employee, so I don't get any benefits. So they call themselves an independent contractor, but in reality, they're a small business owner. So they would apply for this under their small business because they're paying themselves presumably out of wage on that pl uh, from their company. So that's where that word gets thrown around and a lot of people confuse it. I'm going back. Oh, how do you know whether to apply for the payroll protection or the EIDL? Great question. So, if you pay salaries, all right, so if you, you're paying W-2, um, and so what you need is a 941, 940, and a W-3 is what most of them ask for. So if you're paying out a salary, then 
that means you have an S corp or a C corp typically, or an LLC taxes, either one of them. And you would be eligible to apply for that. If you don't, if you're a sole proprietor, that means you don't have an entity that you're just, or it's a disregarded LLC that you're using, you would apply as a sole proprietor. If you have an LLC that you own with someone else that you work on together, it's taxed as a partnership, but it's active income to you and flows down on schedule SE, then you could apply as well for this. So those individuals were, apply for a PPP. At the same time, they should also apply for an EIDL. Get both if you can get it. And the, the only caveat here is that if you apply for the EIDL and the PPP, you can't use the EIDL monies for what you're gonna use the PPP funds for. Because if you did, then you would not get the loan forgiveness. So they have to be used for separate interests. So we have business owners that are making the PPP loan application for their active business. And then they're making the EIDL loan, looking for that for their real estate side of their portfolio. So they've, they've got two loan apps out for different reasons. And this is going back to the QRP loans the retirement mm -hmm. loans. Um, so some of these guys are already have outstanding loans because they've already gotten on the bandwagon doing that previously. What's okay. the best way to like, you know, they, they got to repay the loan and then back it out again using the, you know, these circumstances or how, what's the best way of, I've, I've heard of all kinds of different ideas here. Well, if you're our client, call us up. If you don't want to repay your loan right now, we'll just treat it as a distribution to you, write it off. And then you have three years to repay it to that time. That's the yeah. simplest way to do it. We've already done a number of them for people. Yeah. Cause people have to watch out if there's like, there's a maximum loan that you have to take and every employer is different to how they have their own set of overlays on top. So of that's that. a really good point. So here's what's come up um, for some individuals. They're, they're not using one of our plans. They're, they have an employer plan and they've gone to their employer and said, listen, I want to borrow up to hundred percent of my vested balance or the hundred K employer says, no, won't do it. You're stuck at the 50. And they say, well, the CARES Act gives me that the ability to do it. Well, yeah, I mean, it states under the CARES Act that you can, but at the end of the day, our trust agreement, which is the 401k, it doesn't permit that. We have not amended our plan to allow that to occur. So they, they have stopped people from taking these types of loans out of their plans. That's where you get the big stick out. Not any more questions rolling in? Um, so we'll we'll post all these uh, these notes and webinars videos at simplepassivecashflow.com/slash/covid19 and simplepassivecashflow.com/slash/tax or sort of our tax guide that I add notes onto it. And um, I'll have a link in there if you guys want to connect with Anderson, you know, just or shoot me an email at simplepassivecashflow. We'll get you guys connected. I'm personally not screwing around doing it myself. I've, I've learned a long time ago not to waste my time doing that. Um, but, you know, just Clint, just to kind of uh, close things out for us, um, what's your thoughts on investing in the environment and is there like another stimulus plan to coming out or what, you, I mean, you've, you've seen several of these kind of black swan events like this happen and the, the government makes a knee jerk reaction. Sure. What do you see coming down the pipeline or if you, just a guess. Dust off the crystal ball a little bit for a little fun. I think that the market's going to be flooded with money. And so you're going to have that all sloshing around inside of there. And, and lenders 
you know, trying to spur economic activity. The Treasury is going to push down upon them. I mean, the interest rates are going to be set at next to zero because it's an election year. So in an election year, if you want to get reelected, you try to do anything you can to get the economy running or humming as fast as you can before uh, you cast your ballot. So I think there's going to be a lot of stimulus ideas uh, that are going to come, that are going to be released. And at the same time, because the people have been injured, right? And they're, they're out of work and there's going to be a lot of people that aren't going to get rehired right away. You just can't, you just can't say, all right, tomorrow we're going to flip the light switch on and, and I'm back in the business. And for my example, running seminars, I mean, I'm trying to plan them out, but the problem is I don't know when I can actually have them. They're going to allow people to congregate without, you know, having six feet be, between them. And so that's going to be a slow roll for us. And as a result of that, you know, if I'm a, if I own real estate and I own a few pieces of property and I'm not working right now, I'm thinking, you know, I, I might want to dump these because I can't afford the payments on them or I don't want to have that mortgage hanging over my head because I'm not even going to be able to make it. So that's going to be an opportunity. And I hate to, you know, say, well, because of somebody else's um, bad situation, we're able to profit from it. But I look at it as this, you know, if I'm helping them out of a bad situation, because if I'm not stepping in and taking care of that mortgage for that individual investor, then they're going to fall further and further behind and their credit's going to be destroyed and, and they won't be able to go out and invest again uh, in the future. So because of that, I am positioning myself for the next two, you know, in two months from now, three months, the summer to find some good deals. I, I really think they're going to be available. And so the, st the structure I'm doing on the backside is with that in mind um, to, to find those. And then the flip side on the business side, I think people need to, to, to take a step back and pause and look at, don't think of this as a negative. Think of it as a positive right now. This is, for, for some people, it's like a perpetual snow day, right, as a kid. And you can use it one of two ways. You can sit there, sit around, hang out at the beach. You can surf, um, play video games, whatever people do to relax. Or you could be looking at your business and saying, all right, when this starts to unwind, am I going to be poised to take advantage of the new economy because it's going to be a different economy. It's going to be a different business world out there. So am I setting myself up to take advantage of that, to come out and be strong rather than be dictated to by, by events? And so one of the things we've been doing with our own business is reevaluating how, what business is going to look like, how we're going to change and adapt and be, be a leader in what we're offering. And by having this type of time right now, it gives you that planning opportunity and you should be taking advantage of it because once you go back into running your business and things as normal, you don't have this time any longer. Everybody wishes they had the time. Um, you know, I've written one book and I've, I'm on my second book. I've been on my second book now for three years and I, I haven't had the time to finish it up now, but where I do find the time, I go to Hawaii and I'm able to write because I'm able to get away from everything. And this is what people should be focusing on right now is taking that time to reevaluate their business and, and look at how they can come out of this and make more money. All right, Clint, thanks for, uh, thanks for spending the time with us. Went a little over. Um, let me know when you uh, come out to Wahoo. We'll, uh, we'll do a high five. And Got CPA told there. me that counts as a business meeting, right? Absolutely <laughs> it does, right? You got to figure out how to make it deductible. Yeah. Right on. All right, All right man. Um, yeah, if anyone you. wants to contact Anderson, let me know.
and we'll get you guys connected and then all, all right, right take care thanks Clint. bye This website offers very general information concerning real estate for investment purposes. Every investor situation is unique. Always seek the services of licensed third-party appraisers and inspectors to verify the value and condition of any property you intend to purchase. Use the services of professional title and escrow companies and licensed tax, investment, and or legal advisor before relying on any information contained herein. Information is not guaranteed as in every investment there is risk. The content found here is just my opinion and things change and I reserve the right to change my mind. Above all else, do your own analysis and think for yourself because in the end, you are the only person who is going to look out for your best interests.